Okay, what's your name again? Lewis Heath, is it? Lewis, Lewis Heath. Heath. Lewis, Lewis Heath. Heath. And you're from what brand, is it? An, an Orden? Yeah, yeah. That is actually how you say it. So it doesn't, no, it's not. It's not. not. <laughs> God, I'd be so embarrassed if it turned out after all these years I've been saying it wrong. It's an Orden. No, did I talk, not tell you that? I was up in, up in a couple of months ago, years ago. I can't remember. Maybe last year. Last winter it was. And I was up there with one of the crofters that I'm friends with. And this is like in the middle of nowhere. And um, we were coming down off the hill. And he he knew like he knows what I do, but he's never it's never kind of been talked about. And he he pointed over to Lochan Dane, and uh, and this is an area where there's like hundreds of little Lochans, and you know. And he pointed there, and he said, "You know, the locals call that an Ordin." <laughs> and I was like, "Look at him!" And he's like, "Don't worry, I thought it was Anodane as well to start with, but uh, it's not." <laughs> so. It has been, it has been wrong the whole time, but... You're kidding. No, I mean, it's like, there, there are probably three people that live within, you know, a few miles of that place. So I, I don't even know if the people who know what it's called are still alive, apart from my friend. But it's, uh, you know, it's nice to have a different name because we're not a stretch of water. We're a watch company, so... Oh, yeah. There is some differentiation between the two, but... But yeah. No, it's good to it's good to be able to draw a sharp distinction between those two things. You do not want to be con- confused as a body of water. You don't want to buy one and get the other, do you? Because that would be that would be messy. Wet. So, yes. Yeah. Well, unless you bought the water and then you ended up with a, a useless. <laughs> Thanks, Rob. Useless watches, eh? Well, well, no, I'm not saying the watch itself is useless, but it's only useful for the application for which it's designed. Yeah, you can you can fish in it, could you know? Right there, you go. Useless for fishing. Yes, no, I'm. Yes, you're with me. And you couldn't couldn't get a boat in it either. So no, I, I do see where you're coming from, but I think this is uh, detouring, isn't it? From do the introduction, fuck's sake. Come on. Okay, shut up. Jesus Christ. <laughs> These guests keep yammering on. Hi, hello, watch fans, and welcome to another edition of the Real Time Show with me, your friendly neighbourhood watchmaker, Rob Nance. Today, I am joined by my good friend and founder of the Scottish Watch Phenomenon. Is Hi Rob, nice to talk to you. Nice to talk to you too, Lewis of Anorden. It's um, wonderful mm-hmm. to have you exactly. on the show. Don't, don't don't spread misinformation, please. On the, on the okay, well, it is on Watchmaking's most interactive podcast now. It is live and it is out there. It is in the public ether. So please, people, let's refer to the watch brand as Anorden as we have done since its very first days of existence, which were when Lewis. When did Anorden? first birth into the world publicly appeared in uh, 2018 it feels like it's been around a lot longer we were around before for several years but um you know obviously not visible to the public so when did the idea to start a watch brand first germinate in your mind i feel like i i have always answered the same things on podcasts and i i, I get so bored myself of saying the same things that everyone who has ever listened to one of them must be really really fed up with me saying the same things over so i might make up this answer if it's okay Rob would that be right you can totally make it up but how famous do you think you are I've never heard a podcast review on it ever once in my life nor have I I have I've done three of them but I said the same thing on on all of them who else have you done who else um the OT okay that's a good one. Oh, of course I did the OT twice I did the OT twice uh-huh, uh-huh. but then the last time I did the OT I talked about something that we hadn't managed to make and so they haven't let that one out and I did Scottish watches as well yeah. Well, Scottish Watches is amazing. Obviously, that's, I mean, it's the biggest active podcast in the watch making industry at the moment. Well, I mean, Hadinki technically has more downloads, but Hadinki's been a bit on the shelf, it would seem, since Jack left. So I'm sure Hadinki will um, 
push yeah. again in the future. But right now, uh, Ricky and Dave are top of the tree. And we love them over at Scottish Watchers. We also love the OT. That's Felix, right? Felix and Andy, yeah. They're, they're, they're very nice. Very kind of, there's a nice um, sort of laid back vibe. Are you saying that I'm not laid back? Well, you're not. I mean, you're, you're more... I would say intense would be a nice way of, I mean... You can say it in the nasty way if you want. I can take it. Uh, no, I, I think I think your tempo is just slightly turned up in, in comparison to kind of, especially Felix, who's a fairly laid-back Australian. Yeah, I, I am quite highly strung. Yeah, in, that's fair. That's fair. I didn't say that. I uh, know. <laughs> in fairness, you didn't, no. But it's it's a more productive way of being, I suppose, isn't it? You do get, like, you were churning out the articles at... Uh, I was. I've been churning out the articles for years, for years in all different places. I Mm. used to write, before I was with Fratello, would you believe it? Um, I was writing 54 articles a month. Wow. And I was working for a a blog to watch, Bob's Watchers, Borrow Blog, Time and Tides, Scholar, Joma Shop, and I don't know who else, but a lot. And, you know, because one of my friends, a watchmaker, uh, Theo Prenzel from Nomos Glassiter, who... um, was very interested in the writing game, asked me how many articles I had to write a, a month, assuming actually, as it turned out, that it would be as many as four or five. And when I told him that I was like averaging- That put him off. Yeah, he was, his <laughs> eyes like rolled back. He couldn't believe it. He was gobsmacked. <laughs> and he was like, how do you like have the stamina for it? He said, is there that much to say about watches? And that really made me laugh. Because <laughs> he's, I mean, he literally invents calibers for a living. And he asked me, yeah. <laughs> I was like, well, you never know. I mean, it's amazing. But i tell you why there's so much to say. It's because of brands like yours, Lewis, because there's always something different oh, kind, going on. I'm not being kind. I'm not kind. You are. Yeah, no. <laughs> I'm very matter of fact. On the podcast, not off the podcast. You know, I'm a real yeah. bastard off the podcast. That's for yeah. sure. Um, but yeah, you are like one of the leading lights in British watchmaking at the moment. So why don't you tell us a little bit about Anordain's USP for anybody that hasn't encountered you on previous podcasts? Thanks, Rob. Uh, well, we we make uh, we make things in Glasgow. Uh, mostly, we are known for doing enameling. Uh, so that vitreous or grand for enameling, which is molten glass powder, essentially on fused metal for for the dials. Um, and that's that's really how we started out was was taking a very traditional uh, kind of watchmaking craft that's difficult to do and and and, and kind of you know, combining it with uh, colours and and sort of a, a more contemporary approach to design, I suppose. And that's that's where things started. Um, and it's really I mean, the, the thing about the company that I that you know keeps me interested is um, it's just it's it's a group of very very nice, very talented people who work together and, and you, you're always getting you know, fascinating stuff coming out of it. So we've got, I think we've got uh, early 20s people, so maybe 23 or 24 altogether, um, 17 or 18 of whom are in the studio every day. And um, and they're you know, a mixture of people from sort of watchmakers um, to jewellers who have become enamelers. Um, but within the jewellery kind of area, you've got people specialising glass blowing, silversmithing, all these kind of different different fields, and um, and then you've got you've got designers like the image is typography, you've got uh, you know photography, so you've just got this big this big kind of place with uh, lots of people crossing over. So so you you tend to you know, have a constant stream of of interesting things to 
to distract you when you're there, which is nice. So you say this is where it started, this very artisanal route to creating watches, but why did it start there? What's your background and how did you find yourself in this position? Design is my background. I studied architecture in Edinburgh and then I got into product design because I, I graduated during the credit crunch, you know, for, what was it, 14 years ago? And there were no no architecture jobs. So I, I kind of fell into product design and and went that way. Um and I had always, at the, at the back of my mind, I'd always been interested in, in making watches. And it wasn't, it wasn't because I was a huge watch fan at the time, actually. It was because I thought it was a good idea. And it'd been an idea that kind of had sat with me since I was about 18 or 19. And just the idea that you could combine all these really interesting things like engineering, um, you know, design, craftsmanship, and 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 luxury and just put everything together and it would be something that would suit making in Scotland. You know, you have all these, these kind of skill sets and I think I'd researched it back then and there weren't any watches really made in Britain. And I, I so it'd always been in the back of my mind, like this is something, this is kind of the, the idea that I'm going to do. And so I got, you know, I got some experience and, and got a bit of money from the previous company I, was, I ran. And then, you know, I, I left there to, to do this full time, and um, and yeah, that's that's where it came from. So, how many people are working now in Anodain, and how many? I mean, this is difficult to answer numerically off the top of your head, mm. I'm sure. But how many different crafts do we have? Because your slogan is "New hands, old crafts." Is it that way round? It's the other way around. But no, it's, that's very well remembered. Old crafts, new hands. Because I mean, enameling, for example, watch style enameling in the UK was extinct in uh, according to the Heritage Crafts Association, and then. When we started doing it, they 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 listed it as endangered, and now I don't believe it's endangered anymore because we have eight or nine enamelers now. Um, so it's it is this idea of taking these really old crafts and and it is kind of a case of relearning them, especially with something like dial enameling. It's such such a niche thing, and the people who knew how to do it are either dead or incredibly secretive. And so there is no, you know, there's no books on it, there's no websites, no YouTube things that are going to tell you anything of use. So it it really is just working it out for yourself. And that's why it took us years to get to the point where we could make a dial. So if I wanted to learn how to become a dial enameler, which I actually kind of low-key do, and I think I've mentioned this to you a few times already, mm. how would I go about it? Would I come to you with my cap in hand and beg you, please, sir, please, sir, take me on as an apprentice. I'll do anything to become a dial enameler. I, I, I wouldn't. So I don't think that was, I mean, you could do that, but I, it's not, I'd have to ask the team and, uh, you know. Would I, would it help if I like put on the sort of like artful Dodger Cockney accent or would it be better if I just asked him my regular I, I, might, I might work against you actually, okay. to be perfectly honest, Rob. Not a fan of accents. I don't know, we can, yeah. Well, no, it's a good accent, just, I just think it might, might uh, kind of. Freak you out? It's a bit freaky. Yeah, yeah, might, might. I mean, I'm a fully grown man, obviously, like, so it's a bit weird to be, talking like a, a cockney child but yeah okay whatever i mean are you are you looking for more enamelers are you looking to expand the team no i mean i i we're we're in an unusual and and i think really good situation at the moment where we have a have a very good team and we've got all our orders kind of booked up for the next few years so i think for us we've we've kind of been able to forecast ahead to see what we need to keep everyone you know, paid and everything going well. 
and being able to factor in development work as well, which is the you know the, the bit that you know everyone really enjoys. Um, so so I think working with the team we've got at the moment is is the way that I'm planning to do it. Um, just because you go you've got other. I mean, I think people seem to be very um, seem to just have this presumption that bigger is better, and the more you make, the more you sell, and the more people you have is is kind of automatically bigger. But I think actually what you can do with a, a relatively small team that are very close knit and uh, is, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't kind of underestimate that. And I, I think there's definitely benefits to staying relatively kind of lean. I would agree. I mean, as you know, I work quite closely with Arcanaut and that's a company that also makes its dials by hand and has a very small team of very specifically talented individuals. And obviously the general goal of brands is to grow, but the interpretation of what growth is, is something that we should talk about more often as an industry, because as you say, like keeping the team small, keeping it close knit, that's a very dynamic place to be. Also keeping demand higher than suppliers perhaps able to be is also wise to keep people interested in the brand. Obviously, one doesn't want to take that too far, as we've seen, certainly not manufacture it artificially. But when we're talking about an artisanal brand whose production is intrinsically tied to the number of sufficiently talented individuals available to work for the brand, it's much more understandable. Like, Anodane is a watchmaker, but it is a craft company perhaps even before it's a watchmaker. I mean, what's the most important thing about the watch? It isn't actually the movement inside it. It's the way that time is communicated to the wearer via that dial, which is the star of the show. Of course, you have your own cases or proprietary Mm. cases and everything, but like the dial is really where people keep coming back time and time again to the Anodane brand. And I know that in the first couple of years of the watches being available, it was difficult to meet the fervent demand for those pieces what strategies did you implement thereafter having had a bit of market experience in the watch industry to manage people's expectations it's a case of playing it by ear and working out what the best thing to do at the time is i think because we'd always since we launched we'd always had a little waiting list like a few weeks or a few months um and it was the nature of like when we started out we had the four of us or five of us or whatever and um you know we were lucky if we made a watch a week because it was just it was it was just, we didn't know, even though we'd been doing it for three years, we still were miles off where we are today and it's hopefully even further from where we will be in the future. So we we, we always had a bit of a waiting list. And I think after a few years, it, it kind of it got bigger and, and we didn't have any proper structure in place. It was just a little bit, everything was completely, the structure was flat and everything was a bit hectic. And so you know, we'd kind of be running around trying to do this order in time or do this request for this person. So, and it got to the point where everyone was just totally frazzled and, and stressed out. And so we looked at it and said, look, let's let's try and make this efficient. And um, what we'll do is we'll produce watches for a month. And then at the end of the month, we'll put those watches on sale and people could buy them. And then we'll do the same the next month. And that will, that will make life a lot easier. And to do that, we had to get over the, the kind of couple of month backlog uh, we had so we didn't have watches on sale for a few months and so when the first batch went on sale it went you know very very quickly and we had lots of customers that were not very happy at all and 
And I still thought it was a good idea because it made, like, it was, it worked so well for the team. You know, it gave us so much more structure and, and, um, it was so much more efficient. And so we did it again the second month and people were even more annoyed. Um, (laughs) and so, yeah. So I just thought, you know, you could, you can't keep kind of annoying your customers. And we always, like, like we, we, we try not to do that, uh, obviously. Um, and so we, we had to think about this an awful lot and, we basically said, look, the fairest thing to do is just say, look, if you want to watch, you can have one and it's going to be first come, first served, but it will take time to get the watch. Um, so we then set up a waiting list and people joined. And then we've recently gone through the waiting list and and kind of contacted people because well, we were being asked, you know, where am I on the list and all this stuff. And you don't know where someone is if no one in front of them takes up the offer or if everyone in front of them takes up the offer, it'd be completely different. So right. what we did is we, we, we went out to everyone and said, look, if if you want to still want to buy one, you can put down a, a kind of small deposit and you will have a guaranteed build slot. So it's not for a watch, it's for whatever watch is available at the time, which will be, you know, the idea is it's anything that's available now plus more things. And so you you can kind of, kind of reserve this this time slot for our production team in that sales model the customer doesn't have a say in which piece it is that their deposit is going towards no they don't need to because they're not buying a, a piece they're buying time so they're, uh-huh. they're buying the time to build a watch so when it comes to your slot say in you know march next year whatever you can choose whatever watch you want then okay that's a really interesting idea i mean this is a conversation that i've had with a few of my clients about when it comes to sales strategy about how best to do it because a couple of the brands that i work with are in the same position as you in that mm-hmm. they have uh, an artisanal chain of production and they can't guarantee uh, that the models that they're able to produce are going to be the models that people want and they didn't know whether to produce things in batches and then release the batches to the audience and allow them mm. to be bought on a first come first serve basis or whether to pre-sell exact models to people and give them a time slot it's very interesting to hear that you've done that that you've actually pioneered it and how long have you been doing that for um we started the waiting list last december so a year ago and we went out started talking to people a couple of months ago about the build slots mm-hmm. so so the kind of deposit aspect of it then um and yeah so it's it's um it's been about a year but it it, it is i mean i would say to you know if anyone is trying to work this problem out it is really difficult and i don't think there is a perfect way of doing it but i what we found is just being kind of transparent with people and you know just try to be as fair as you can is is generally is well received like you will always get a few people who are not terribly happy but um i think the the model where you kind of People, when we were doing the batches, and and you know, we at the time we were making thirty five a month or something, so it was tiny numbers. Um, and com- compared to some other you know companies, I think when people look at you and they think that you're artificially limiting demand, then people do get very angry. And I can you know I can understand that from a kind of watch consumer's perspective as well. Um, so so I think just trying to create a system that's fair to people and and that they understand. Um, uh, is is the the kind of best way of doing things? What's the uh, percentage of deposit that you asked for? Um, it's three hundred and fifty pounds, so it's it's a fixed amount rather than a percentage because the watches are different prices, so they would be 
it would. Ah, okay, okay, okay. Oh, so so the customers can reserve their time slot, their consultancy period, as it were, when they become like the the client that you're working with directly, and mm. they just pay that period, that money down then, and then they can tell you so they could go for a model one, a model two, or a model three, for example, in that discussion. Yeah, they can get 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 whatever they want. So it's it's um. Hmm. Um, yeah, it, it's a, it's a case of you put the deposit down, and then when your time comes, we get in touch and ask what you'd like, and uh, and, th- and then we we produce it for you, and then the, you can pay the balance, and we'll we'll send it out to you. And then, what options in terms of dials are available to them? Can they specify any previous dial that's been made, or can they even talk to you about something custom? No, I mean the, we we have done custom watches in the past, and we, I mean, what you realise is that you lose money really really well doing it it's a it's a it's a fun thing but a terrible idea i mean we were spending like three or four weeks working on a watch and you know not not charging any more for it so it was it was pretty bad Mm, idea. mm. but it does i mean we we have had to be quite structured with the um with, with our kind of production routines and things like that so even though the watches are one offs you kind of I think because because the margins we work with are very slim, you don't really have time for like you. You're it, it takes several days to make a watch. So if you take any longer than that, then you it, it soon becomes kind of a kind of a loss maker. Um, and so that that's the reason why we wouldn't do that in terms of older dials. What what we've found with enamel is that you only have a few very good supplies in the world, and um, we've had really nice enamels that we've worked with which have disappeared or um you know the, the, the companies couldn't produce them anymore so so we try and preempt that issue now so i would hope that all the stuff we have today you could get in the future but certainly a lot of the ones we've worked with in the past have haven't been you know we, we couldn't recreate so they're extinct now for good mm, yeah yeah, and even like even some colours like the post office red, for example, mm. was an enamel which we had to replace with another red. So it's it's a slightly different red now, but you could you could kind of date the you know someone's someone's red dial to to a certain period and and things like that. I think there there are kind of double digits of those watches out there, even though they've been produced for a few years. So um, yeah, it's not not huge amounts. How exciting! So I'm going to test you now and see if you ha- mm, how many. Yeah, I love this. I can't wait for this. How many of the uh, available colours you can name off the top of your head right now? Okay, so let's see. How many do we have? Do we have? Seven? Have you got the website? I've open. got the website. Can I open the website? No, because then no. Oh, I'm open the website. Well, you can if you. Well, you can't tell. Type very subtly. You probably shouldn't have said that. You should have just like <laughs> stalled for a moment. Oh God, I had a coughing fit, so I had to um, get it out. <laughs> well, well, I will, I will give you the answer to that, and and what I would, uh, I, I don't think I should be drawn into this because I may come up with names that are for future products, and that would get me in trouble. Oh, okay, all right. So Open I, the website then. Tell us what colours yeah. we can order. Well, you, you I don't, yeah. Um, there's, there's, there's lots of colours. <laughs> there's lots <There>. of colours. <laughs> wow, you are not a born salesman. You know that, like. You know. No, well, I, I, I take some pride in that, so it's all right. All right, yeah, fair enough. All right, I'll help you out. Okay, so in the Model One lineup, you've got 
Small model one, medium model one, and large model one. That's I could have told you that. No, I, I thought you were talking about particular colors. I am doing, no. yes. So, so, so there's, yeah, there's four colors available in each of these sizes. That's the Parisian blue, Japanese oxblood, which is really cool because it has this bright red print. That was the uh, the post office red, but we had to oh, that's better. alter it slightly. It's so, so much yeah. better. Well, and you've got like a sort of, it's not even bright red. It's like coral, really, that print, the minute track. Mm. Oh, what a lovely contrast. Yeah. Uh, man, I shouldn't spend time on your website. Damn it. Um, mm-hmm. The Iron Cream, which is an off-white. And this one's notable for the fact it has blued hands. They're heat-treated, right? Yeah, they're heat-treated. So they're, they're not all blue, but they're yeah. all heat-treated. So some will be kind of a goldy straw color, mm-hmm. and some will be in the middle and something blue. So that's um, something we've been doing for about two years now, and that that's quite nice. In the watch I made to graduate from watch school, I made I, I golded mm. uh, or strawed, shall we say, my mm. screws because I'd blued my ratchet and crown wheels. Oh, nice. So I made the screws gold, and to do that, you heat them to 140 ish degrees as opposed to 280 for the so are you doing it in a kiln rather than i know by a lamp? i actually did it by hand personally i did it with a blowtorch in a, a bed of brass filings you got that temperature through having a thermometer in the brass filings no i did it by eye but that is that is just the chart oh i see right right that, that's the temperature yeah yeah. yeah, that's just the temperature. I, I can't, like, if you p- put a Bunsen burner around my hand, I can't tell you what temperature my skin is really <laughs> at. No, I'm not, I'm not like that, that kind of weirdo. Uh, okay, and the other color available in these three sizes is teal, which is mm-hmm. really nice as well. Lovely um, sort of greenish blue, more blue than green, I would say. Kind of a teal color, isn't it? Yeah. Kind of, it's almost teal. Yeah, weird. It's almost it's good. Teal. Good choice of name. Very funny. And then in the medium size, you have four other options. The Fume dials, green Fume, Payne's gray Fume, which is a dark charcoal, gray also, unsurprisingly, blue Fume, and a plum Fume, which is also unsurprisingly plum colored. And that one is absolutely delicious. I, I A picture of one of those that I took when I was in your workshop, I don't know when it was, mm. 18 months ago, two years ago? A while ago. Was it before, before, before the big C? It yeah. can't be before COVID. No, it mustn't be. It mustn't be because I was mm. I was definitely working for Fratello. So it must have been when I was like on one of my uh, maybe. rare yeah. trips. Oh, it was. Back. Yeah, no, I remember that. It was It was in a lighter period of... of yeah, the, yeah. yeah. Um, and I stumbled across this image that I'd taken uh, when I was at your place of this watch and it almost made me cry. <laughs> and actually, like, I showed my girlfriend... <laughs> it was that bad? <laughs> no, the opposite. Like, it's so beautiful. The light had caught it in such a way. My girlfriend wears a Model 2 um, purple Fume, which is one of the extinct models, oh. I guess, now. Oh, and that's true, yeah. She, you're yes, obviously is, her favorite yeah. brand, yeah. Um, you and Nomos. So, Say that yeah. every episode, Crop, too. Uh, well, you obviously don't listen to my show. Jeez. No, I, I didn't think anyone listened to your show. That's why I'm surprised now. Yeah, you've got to be on your best behavior. Yeah, you really, you're missing out. It's great. We've had some actually decent guests in the past. So I just had to scrape the barrel to get you on. But I know, yeah, I, I thought this would be the downhill run from you've, you've peaked. Yeah, it's, it's all, all who do you, who do you have on then to, to recap for the other listener who hasn't? For the other listeners, are you doing this for my benefit? That's really no, cute, I'm, I'm, right? Yeah, no, no, tell, <laughs> tell me who the, who the big hitters, if we had. Okay, well, we started with Jean-Claude Biver, so that was pretty. Hell. Yeah, no, that is, um, was he, were you talking to him or were you kind of doing, was this like a YouTube recording of him and you were, voicing over or was it was it actually was he was he there on the other end it was actually it was it was him i actually have his phone number i was texting him on whatsapp seriously a little yeah it's weird isn't it That's really cool. weird um but was i talking to him or was he like 
espousing his philosophy to the world in the imitable way that he does. It could be either or, to be honest. But he's a fantastic guy to listen to. I was just very inspirational, isn't he? It's superb. Just privileged to be on the other end of the microphone. There's so much energy. I mean, I've watched some interviews with him, and I just want to go to sleep after. I've just got just give up. He's he's got far too much energy. It's, it's impressive. Yeah, he's like he's you know you get this sense like sometimes maybe it's because I grew up near Manchester, but I would not like to fight him. Like I think about this, like that guy, like, that age, he wouldn't no. at that age, he wouldn't know when he was beaten. Well, he keeps himself fit. Like he was, he was saying sure in the episode because it got pretty, got pretty personal. I was asking him like, Oh, do you ever make the same mistake twice in your life? Uh, that was leading on from something he'd said about what, what not to do. And he said only when it comes to sport, because he trains all the time, he goes back running too oh. soon. And he's, so he's in the gym always like he's uh, aside from his physical prowess. What I mean is, that's the kind of guy that never knows they're beaten. You know, you can hit them as hard as you want. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not advocating punching Violence, the most no, influential no. Uh, no. CEO of, you know, history or violence in general. It yeah, would do well for your, your, um, your kind of watch brand that you're working with. What? I mean, smacking, the smacking the most important. Yeah. Brand. Yeah. Wearing yeah. one of your watches here. Yeah, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. I'm do. definitely not going to do that. I have too much respect no. for him and I'm scared of him. Cause I think like if you had him in a corner, he'd just fight and fight and fight. He'd never stop. He'd be, he'd be throwing punches long after he expired. Cause he's just, he's that passionate. Mm. He, and he said, is literally said in the show, um, that without his passion that is watchmaking, he'd, he'd sooner die. Like he, he can't stop because he is what he does. And mm-hmm. some people might not see that as the ideal way to be, but personally I, I, I do. I, I really identify with that and admire him for his incredible longevity and just ridiculous contribution to our industry. Yeah. So that was number one. Then we had not Ed Malan from H Moser. No, not bad. Then we had uh, Laurent Ferrier. Then we had Javier from Chapek, Antoine Pin from Bulgari. Then we had Yup and Andreas from Fortis, Martin Fry from Erverk, James Thompson, the Black Badger, Giles Ellis from Schofield, Charis from MBNF, George Bamford, you know him. And that's, I don't know how many, that was the first 12th of July. That's Julian, not bad, Rob. That's not bad. I might have to listen to some of these after. Yeah, um, they're pretty good. They're pretty good. I do but, avoid, though, listening to anything to the watches after I've. I had 12 hours of watches normally in a day, but I, um, no, I will. Cause that sounds, that sounds really interesting. So what do you do when you're not doing watches? What's what are your hobbies? How do you relax? Well, I have a funny, a funny, um, situation where I, I live in Glasgow in the week and then on my own. And so I just mostly work. And then I go up to Inverness to the family at the weekend where I try not to work. And then, um, and that's it. So the weekends, um, we've got a little farm up there, which, in, which you call a croft if you're in the Highlands. And um, although they're not actually the same thing, but for, for most people they are. And uh, just do kind of outdoorsy stuff that doesn't involve, you know, watches or emails. You or, like to hike? I'm actually, I'm going up to Ascent on Friday, uh, which I'm very excited about. And that's... Uh, and it's going to be snowing in the, on the hills, which, you know, I'm not, I'm not JCB in terms of uh, keeping myself in physical, good physical shape. But I, um, so I'm slightly worried about, you know, going up a hill in the freezing cold, but it'll be fun. And, you know, what's the worst going to I'm sure you'll be fine. Have you got good, have you got a good jacket, some nice boots? Oh, I don't know. I was going to, yeah, I'll be, I'll, I'll get some. I'd say that's key and take plenty of water. You reckon boots? Yeah. 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 I reckon good boots are. So 
plenty of. I'm not joking. I'm not joking. No, I do. I do have walking boots for. I, I, I'm going to go up with walking boots on. Leave the slippers Good. at home and um, and drink, like drink some hot tea and uh, and a jacket and lots of layers. I've actually got a balaclava, which I got this week because it is it's it's a novelty level of cold in Glasgow, and uh, there is no one outside. Because, well, I'm not literally no one, but virtually no one outside because it's so cold. Yeah, it's like you told me it was minus seven today in Glasgow. Minus seven, three days in a row. Yeah. That's uh, that's pretty cold for that part of the world. It is, isn't it? Yeah, people uh, people aren't used to it. No, they're not at all. Um, and let me say this: they are also not used to such fine watches and interesting colours to choose from. Because <laughs> I'm now like perusing through good your good track back. That was Rob. That was that was nice. Yeah, no, I like that. Segwaying is my uh, yeah. forte, but not segwaying yeah. in real life on those nonsense two wheeled machines that people roll around cities on. I hate them. No. Um, absolutely hate them. Uh, the guy that invented them apparently died in an accident where his Segway went off a cliff. Do you hear that? You know, I did. Actually, yeah, I did hear that. Um, yeah, that's uh, yeah. that's hilarious. That is just desserts. <laughs> Not sure. Karma. It's hilarious for everyone, but yeah. Uh, well, but yeah, no, I, I do get the. the I find yeah. it hilarious. I know. And uh, honestly, I've almost been run over by idiot tourists, like f- like zooming up streets that should never be zoomed up in so many cities around Europe now that I, you know, someone had to pay for that. And, uh, on on segways yeah. rather than the scooters because segways uh, scooters I've actually I've never nearly been hit by a scooter it's the segway because oh. it's controlled by like leaning isn't it like, it's it's a difficult thing to drive yeah no it, do, it doesn't look very safe no it's... and you get the wrong kind of people on the and and what I mean by that is if you feel like you're physically incapable of walking somewhere you shouldn't be charged with <laughs> yes. operating a machine that requires control of your body right yeah that's... so it's like oh shit athletes who can happily walk up a hill, they'd be fine on a Segway because they know what they're doing with their body. But when you've got like, I don't want to draw too fine a point on it, but you know what I'm saying. Well, it's, I guess. No, I, yeah. <laughs> it's, I'm getting the Maybe politics Segway too far at the moment. But yeah. yeah. No, I, anyway, I, back to the original cause of the Segway. The Model 2 comes in two sizes, medium and large. Why is it medium and large? Well, it's it's not small, Rob. It's not small. Um, it's it was it was, you know, when we bought it out, it was small. People were horrified at how you know it's six and a half mil. But it's a beautiful size. Was, it's the that, size. Well, that was that was several years ago, no, three, four years ago, and um, and luckily things swung that way. I didn't know they were going to go that way, but I'd I'd been wearing a um, really lovely little Smith's Deluxe, which is I think thirty three millimeters, um, and. Mm-hmm. I've been so taken by how easy it is to kind of get full, you know, you move your wrist around and and it's not like wearing a 40 mil watch. And so I was just really keen to do something that was uh, small. And so that's how it started out. Um, and it's, it's a good size for so many people. And I still think people are wearing, or maybe going for watches are still a bit big in my opinion for them. Um, but yeah, it's nice. Size. The, the larger one that, uh, of the model two is perhaps better proportioned, I think, but, um, do you think so? It is. I think it is when you, well, I have quite big wrists actually, so maybe that, but it is, I think, yeah, they're, they're, they're both, they're both good. Now I have tried a model two large on my wrist once when I was in the workshop, but I can't mm. really remember the direct comparison with the model two, which I'm, the Model 2 Medium, which my girlfriend mm. wears. I love the Model 2 Medium as an object more than the Model 2 Large, you know, seeing it off the wrist. Yeah, well, she, I mean, she's got one of the the first 
generation, which had, you know, you could get Fumé dolls in. So it's quite a different thing. And the hands are mm. different. We've gone, mm. like with the, with the second iteration model two, we went from having sort of polished silver hands with loom tips, which she's got, to having yeah. um, heat blued hands with loom tips, which is a, you know, not a, not a, not a good thing to do if you, want an easy life because you as soon as as you'll know as a you know, watchmaker as soon as you put the loom on you can't you know repolish and re-blue because it'll just you know burn the loom off so it's yep um and and we the looming is so fine on those we send them to to switzerland to, to get loomed and then they come back so um it's so the hands of and i think the design of the hands improved for the second version as well i'm, I'm happier with those they're uh, very so elegant aren't they in beautiful form very unusual Thanks obviously this is a podcast people can't see what we can see in front of us but we, so we need to describe things to them mm. one of the most interesting what should we say uh i need a good word for this hang on let me think 54 about. articles a month rob you can't think of a good word i used them all i used them all <laughs> yes you did <laughs> one of the most interesting qualities of the material vitreous enamel is the way that it has this translucence and opacity of different degrees which yeah gives the effect of the numbers when they're pad printed on top floating slightly above the dial's heart, shall we say. So it's really obvious on the Fume dials that were Mm -hmm. translucent, or that in the case of the Model 1 ones still available, uh, still are translucent. But it's still possible to see that strange hovering effect of the numerals on the Model 2s, which have more Mm -hmm. opaque dials. So we have four colors available in both sizes. They are flax, Gray ha, is it you say? Or yeah, it's it's it, that that ha is kind of a word for a, a fog or a mist in Scotland. So it's like it's a, it's a ha over the sea. It's this kind of you know sea oh, fog. Beautiful. Thing. Uh, white and it is very white, and this is cool. This, yeah. It's the last one I would choose in the collection myself personally, but I'm very glad that it exists because there should be more watches like this. And then there's a racing green, which is the only one that doesn't have heat blued hands. It has heat strawed hands, as we discussed before. So they're a kind of yeah. golden color. Very nice. Yeah, the white one's fun because that is, you know, that is traditional. That's what enamel watches are normally is, is this white. Yeah. And I think there is a lovely quality where you have that that blue um, printing on that white. You know, that combination of blue and white is it sort of reminiscent of, of kind of pottery and, and sort of, um, you know, Portuguese and pottery and stuff like that, which I, I've always been very drawn to. It's incredibly um, yeah. crisp. It's incredibly mm. precise. And it has, uh, so this one, interestingly, it has blue tips on the blued hands. Are they non-luminous, I would imagine? No, they're, they're blue loom, actually. Um, blue loom, wow. But it's quite a yeah. dark shade of blue. It is, yeah. Well, you get into these little details and um, spend quite a lot of time working these out. But no, it's, it's, you're trying to, trying to match the printing to the loom. Um, but luckily, the, 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 the people we work with in, Switzerland to do this I couldn't kind of color match anything so it's quite nice what's your favorite color out of these four um I I really like the green actually I think that that racing green is something lovely I yeah have always I have a bicycle and I have a couple of old cars that are in that color and always been a bit of a sucker for it so I think um, green is is the one for me oh I'm torn I'm actually torn between the three Oh, well, I don't know. The but not gray, the white. The, mm. Not the white. No, 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 no. no. I, I, I've gone off like pure white dials myself a long time ago. It was, as I, as I said in one previous episode a couple of weeks back, I used to think that there was nothing better than a rose gold cushion-shaped 
enamel white dial with black Roman numerals, but I have changed drastically since mm. then. I love the shade of gray and the subtlety of the white numerals against it. I think that that works really nicely with the blue hands, which I'm not so much a fan on the flax dial, which mm. of the colors though, the flax is probably my favorite because it's so weird. I've never seen, never seen a watch dial. Like yeah. That it's, it's, it's the enameling in the, in the flax is, um, is not normal. Well, none of the colors really are normal watch style enamels that you'd, you'd no. see, but they, they, it has a kind of pigmentation in it, which, you know, if that was pigmentation in a white dial or a blue dial or whatever, you would, like, it wouldn't pass. You'd, you'd be chiseling it out and refilling it and stuff like that. But but there are certain ones, I think the original pink model one had that pigmentation. And it's just this lovely kind of mottled, uh, tech, not not texture, it's not, not kind of but two-dimensional pattern. Um that is, is just the nature of that particular enamel, which I, which I really like. It is beautiful and very special and very unusual. So if people haven't seen it, you should go check it out. The website is easy to find. Anordain is spelled A-N-O-R-D-A-I-N. And the website can be found at anordain.com. That's Thank C-O-M. You, Yeah, no problem. Um, It really is worth checking out because, I mean, this is something special. Now, tell me about the inks that you use on the dials because printing on vitreous enamel is not uh, the same as printing on a pre-painted surface. Yeah, no, it's not. Um, We, I remember early on, we had some, a lot of issues with that. Actually, we were buying the inks from Switzerland and they were meant to be specifically for enamel dials and we were finding that they were flicking off or, you know, they, they, they weren't adhering perfectly. So we had a lot of stress with those inks and then um and then finally we we got in the end we we got inks in that were meant for printing on bottles so on there's obviously a big whiskey industry here so there were some specialist ink people who were you know who did pad printing on bottles and we started using that stuff and obviously glass and enamel is essentially the same thing so it worked perfectly and um and that's where the um yeah that's how how we, we kind of got the got the pad printing going right the range of colors that you have is amazing and incredibly subtle as well i mentioned before on the model one that uh replaced the post box red the japanese yeah. oxblood that you have this coral or at least that's how i termed it almost yeah. coral print around the outside and that's the kind of unusual shade you perhaps wouldn't expect to find uh in the whiskey industry that's for sure but, um, uh, no no well, i mean they're, they're all blended they're they're, they're yeah. kind of made mixed order but i mean the colors for the for the dials and the printing are i mean nearly always chosen by the enamelers so that's one of the like i think i was saying at the beginning that one of the lovely things about the company is that you have this big you know this this kind of uh big group of people who cross over an awful lot and you know the enamelers produce the, the dials but they aren't just production you know they're, they're all i think all art students you know who've graduated in the past five or ten years and um and so they have a real creative input into things so so that that aesthetic of of you know enamels and, and printing colors and and these things they come from you know it's, it's a it comes from that kind of body of people that is a special combination that's really cool. I'm really glad that you've uh, that you've got that one in there. That's a really nice addition to the range. So talking of the range itself, can we expect it to grow anytime soon? Yeah, I mean we're always always working on new stuff uh because it's because it's interesting I suppose mainly um what have we got? We've got lots of stuff coming. Um it's been so slow this year though. Um I think this year and 
bits of last year, the, the you know the the issues with with um, making stuff, especially you know, especially with the smaller companies in Europe, the things just aren't happening quickly at all. So we've we've had prototypes that were meant to be here in February that still aren't here now, and and so it's it's very difficult to say when anything's going to happen. But um, we have got lots of really interesting projects, and I think one area I'm very excited about is the doing more within the movements as well because we have always been this company that makes dials and it's almost like you're buying a dial with a watch around it and um and we have been you know we've got four watchmakers now one of them is 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 just does kind of movement development stuff to playing around with that that side of things so i think that we will start to bring out much more interesting um uh, you know kind of work on the back of the watch as well as the as the front um, oh, that will be yeah. interesting. You It'll can't say anything just yet. Yeah. Well, I tell I you what, what, I always say stuff, and then you know, I say it's going to come out this month, and it never does. So, um, best to just be quiet, probably. But there'll be yeah, no there'll problem. Be interesting stuff coming. But you got to promise me that when you do have a new model to announce, that you're going to come back on the show, and we're going to talk. About I would it. love because to. you know, in addition to having an interview every Thursday, every Tuesday we have an interactive episode. Now that either takes the form of a Q and A session in which Alan and I mm. address questions from our listeners. Or it takes the form of a product review when a brand will send us a watch and we'll put a picture of this watch on all of our social channels a couple of weeks before the episode is recorded and get questions from our audience about that watch. And then we address those questions in the interactive episode. So when you have a new model, you can put one in my hands for a couple of days. I'll give it back to you. I promise. Mm, And, um, then, then uh, so I could I could essentially engineer. So I'm asking myself the questions, couldn't I? You know, if I got uh, yeah, my mum to you go, you could on, do that. Yeah, yeah. you could. This well, could be, I mean, are you not that they'd be mum. I mean, she she'd probably do that. For me, I think. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what medium is this on Facebook or or but Instagram? Know, is, is your mum on Instagram? Oh, she does use Instagram. Yeah, yeah. She What's does. her handle? I'm going to follow her. I'm going to DM. I her. don't know. I don't use Instagram. Yeah, bullshit. You don't know. All right. Okay. No, I really don't. It's it's Linda something. Um, Linda Heath is her name. Heath is that too much know. of an assumption? I don't. I don't. Your mom? Oh, no, no, that that's not too much of an assumption. But I don't know what. Are her, we talking about your, your mom? Is... Yes. Who else? Linda. Mom would I be talking Linda. about? Linda. Yeah. I don't know, but do you know your don't, mom's name? Don't... It... Of course, I'm I know her name. Linda. but I don't know her Instagram name. Yeah, but if uh, you know someone's name, you can type it into Instagram and then. Oh, like, don't do that. You'll have lots of. Can you hear me typing? Yeah, but don't put it out on the internet. Don't tell people what it is. You'll have to bleep it out, Rob. <laughs> Why? Just... She might like, won't she like the following? She'd love it. She could become an influencer. No, she, she posts things about flowers and beaches and like where she lives. People like not... flowers and beaches, mate. It's all right. There are enough flowers and beaches on, on the internet as it is without, you know, I, I don't think she'd appreciate Well, who knows? I don't think, uh, I don't think we should be publicizing my mum's Instagram. But anyway, and also, because now when she asks questions, you'll know what is, who it is, won't you? So I've, I've ruined uh, my yeah. own plan. Yeah. yeah, I mean, okay, I've, I've had a little Google. There's a lot of Linda Heath on Instagram. I don't know which one is your mum, so we're just going to leave it there. But if I see any suspicious questions pop up, I'll, uh, I'll double check. <laughs> From someone but who yeah, otherwise I'm... just talks about flowers and, and beaches, yeah. <laughs> All is, right, okay. Uh, that's fair enough. <laughs> but yes, uh, theoretically, you could manipulate it. I'm glad, I'm glad you asked that. We did yeah. have speculation that one of the early questions we received, um, which was something along the lines of why has JLC lost its mojo actually came from JLC's marketing department because they didn't know the answer and they wanted us to answer it for them. But as it turned <laughs> out, that was just, yeah. that was just a disgruntled, uh, Jaeger collector. I 
Oh, have they lost their mojo? I didn't know that. I don't know. I mean, I think that the what the question was driving at was that the brand is is very um, mono model. You know, it's reverso and bust, basically. I mean, the Polaris is an interesting model that from another brand would probably sell a lot better than it does or at least gain a lot more traction, but it doesn't really seem like a JLC. I personally love the Master Collection, but um, mm, yeah. when people think a lot of Swiss it, brands, and they, they do all you right. You could, you could. Yeah. Well, they do do all right. I, I'm yeah, a huge reverso fan, as I was thinking of saying to you before. Um, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. Oh yeah, I didn't bring that up deliberately. <laughs> that's actually that's literally a question. Do you think they're listening to this and want to lend us one? Uh, I imagine they are listening. Yeah, they, they? they probably are. If they know what's good for them. Have you yeah. had them on yet? No, you weren't. They weren't in the list, were they? No, we haven't had JLC on yet. Um, we probably will have them on next year at some point. Who would you talk to from them? Uh, the CEO. She's called Catherine Renier. She's been oh. CEO since 2018, and right. uh, yeah, I'd like to have her on. I mean, um, we haven't had many female voices on the podcast anyway and she's leading one of the biggest brands to be headed by a female so that would be pretty cool to get her mm-hmm. on but yeah maybe she didn't like the question from uh, one of our listeners why has jlc lost its mojo because i guess she thinks it hasn't and uh i'd love to hear her take on it yeah we'll ask do speak to her i'm a big fan we like the reverse so. and my, my wife has one Okay, Lewis, I think we've got time for one more question before I let you go back to work in freezing cold Glasgow. Anodane is a relatively small brand, still in the process mm-hmm. of growing into whatever it may become, whether that's a company that produces more pieces, whether it's a company that employs more people, whether it's a company that has more models and goes into more depth on the watchmaking side of things, as well as the beautiful decorative arts that typify the pieces today. How important have watch fairs, trade fairs, either with other journalists there present or customers been to the development of the Anodane brand and the communication of its message? That is a good question, Rob. Um, I, do, it's, um, I don't, I, it's, it's really hard to tell, actually, because we don't sell watches uh, in, in a normal way. You, you don't see kind of, you know, you don't see any feedback from sales or anything, but I certainly... We do do a lot of we do do all three um, one wound shows, or we are doing those currently. I'm not sure what's going to happen in the future, but in in America we go to San Francisco in the spring, Chicago in the summer, and New York in the autumn, and it's it's brilliant really talking to the you know people who come to the shows because they, they you get an awful lot of feedback and um, yeah I really like it. I mean, there, there's lots of people there I, I've kind of got to know, and um, it's just, it's just nice seeing what like where the stuff you make ends up and and that people like it and and you know who's wearing it and and all this um so i don't know it's it's more i think it's easier to kind of chart the the increase in you know people knowing about what we do uh rather than i'm not yeah it's it's hard i'm not sure how much of the shows is us explaining stuff to people well we do explain stuff to people i don't, I don't know if think people are learning about us at the show necessarily if they come over to see us they normally have like read something online or you know something like that but do you um, advertise yeah. anywhere no we've we've never never done that um and just because I'm, I'm not very good at uh kind of marketing stuff and we've not needed to i think that our you know in the past you know for, i don't know how many years it is now um seven or eight or whatever has, has just been all about production and how how do you get over this challenge or that challenge how do you make this or how you know the, or the design of it it's, it's all about creating and 
Um, that you know suits us very well, and we are very lucky that we we don't have to stress about sales or advertising and and all that stuff because um, it's just something we haven't needed to do. Um, but yeah. That's really interesting that you're actually able to have established yourselves in this way. Is that really from word of mouth of consumers or the industry just because you were a brand that people like me in the journalistic roles took an interest in early on? How did that happen? Yeah, I, I think it's just if you, I mean, I've, it, it's not a sound strategy, I'm sure, for you know, to be applied to other businesses. But oh, if, if you're positively doing something terrible. interesting, yes, yeah. <laughs> you know, if, it like kind of build it and they'll come idea. Uh, yeah. But I, I do think if you're doing something that's interesting people will want to talk about it so I, and that that seems to have been what's happened and we're you know there's, there's really two other companies that are, are doing kind of dial enameling on a, on a large-ish scale you know by enameling standards and and they're both very different from us and I, I think when you you know we're kind of a bunch of ex-art students in Glasgow doing some pretty interesting Dial making and and so people you know it's 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 different and I think people do kind of get interested and in, and in talk about it and that's I think that's what what got us going really, um, but yeah I think I think if you've got to advertise stuff a lot and really push it then it's probably you know maybe it's not I, I don't know I've not, not done advertising <laughs> well not I wouldn't say that necessarily but I mean I, I yeah I I don't know much about that about that side of things but. Um, yeah, no, we've been very fortunate. So it's well, that's good. It's good. I mean, it's it's kind of uh, karma, in my opinion. Like you, you do the right thing, you should get the right result, and you are doing the right thing. And by the looks of things, you're getting the right result. So that's always good to see because we see a lot of. Yeah. I mean, you're the opposite of a hype brand, right? I mean, I read a very good article by a guy called David Vosher the other day. He mm. got in touch on Instagram. I'd, I'd never heard of him before in my life. I heard of his name, of course, very famous watchmaking mm. name. Mm. But he sent me a link to his blog. And he's so good. I'm going to bring him on board. I'm going to get him on the real time yeah. show because I like him. And he wrote this brilliant takedown of the Patek Philippe Tiffany 5711 and how Watchmaker had gone so far in the wrong direction that this was, you know, the most talked about release of the year. Mm. And to compare that to, you know what, we could even get a pretty good uh, visual comparison to one of your old models, one of your now unavailable models but there was a model two with a dial i think it was called tall blue like oh yeah, yeah sort of turquoise mm. color you put those two models next to one another and you know you have one tiffany blue dial that is everything that's right with the industry and one that's everything wrong with it and one was an affordable i would guess around 1500 uh, pounds mm. before taxes and the mm. other one um is complete unobtainium uh, i think there was 170 made and they were maybe about Fifty or sixty thousand dollars to begin with, but wow, yeah. one retail for several million. And on the one side, David's article really expressed like the crushing uh, depression associated with this phenomenon. But on the other, we live in maybe the richest era of watchmaking ever, where there are so many good mm. up and coming creatives, and you, of course, are leading the charge of that. And you, you know, I've thought that for a long time, and it, we, the guys at Fratello also think that as well. And every other media outlet I've worked with over the past few years has the same opinion. And of course, you've worked with Felix and uh, Andy at the OT with their special edition pink model, which was a success itself, wasn't it? Yeah, no, that was really funny. Yeah, it's very, very kind of you to take from. I'm, uh, I wouldn't take that all, but um, yeah, no, it, Felix and Andy did that. 
I just want to do that project so I can make another pink watch, really. And um, but no, I, do, I really like the the aesthetic of their. Um, I know it sounds weird aesthetic of their podcast, but they had some really cool. Well, they have some really cool kind of um, uh, you know some graphics with it, and um, just thought it'd be fun. It's a lovely, it's a lovely outlet, a, a beautiful, a beautiful um, endeavor by both of them, and uh, I'm really glad you guys work together. It's, it's set a good standard, to be honest. Like that's what you know you should do that for podcasts. Lol. <laughs> <laughs> it was yeah. it was a, a lot of work for for twenty watches. I think uh, is that how you only made twenty pieces. Yeah, we don't make many of anything, really. I mean, I think yeah, uh, true. we make, yeah, we don't make many of anything. So it wasn't, uh, yeah, it was just how much time we could we could put on it. Oh, well, despite that, despite the fact that you don't make many of anything, you are one of the busiest people I know in the industry. So I'm going to let you go and uh, continue making the few watches that you do make. And uh, next time, and there will be a next time, and hopefully it won't be very long. There will, I hope so. I hope so. Yeah, I uh, I really hope that we have uh, some a, a model of a number higher than two to discuss. Uh, we'll get you something, um, yeah, don't worry. We'll get you something. Okay, good man, good man. Yeah. All right, thanks, Lewis. Thanks for joining the show. Thanks, Rob. Nice to chat. Guys, if you want to get in touch with The Real Time Show, please reach out to us. You can do that via Instagram. You can find me online at Rob Nudds. That's R-O-B-N-U-D-D-S. Or you can find my regular co-host, Alan Ben-Joseph, on Instagram at Alan Ben-Joseph, A-L-O-N-B-E-N-J-O-S-E-P-H. Or you can email us directly, either rob at therealtime.show or alon at therealtime.show. We'll be back next week with another Q&A session from our listeners and also another interview in the studio. Until then, stay safe and keep on ticking. That was slick, Rob. Well-